0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Mates, welcome to your next old-time radio episode. The series episode I've remastered for you today is from the Crime Classics Vault. Crime Classics, for those of you who aren't too familiar with the series, are audio reenactments based on real life events. They can sometimes be silly or narrated strangely, in that they portray crimes with criminals who didn't entirely think their plans through, leading to shenanigans and how they got caught. However, in today's story we witness a tale that is sad and melancholy, where the criminal was in fact a tortured song by the name of Henrietta Robinson. Suffering from mental illness, Henrietta led a tormented life, and we witness, see, and hear a strong message regarding mental illness that echoes its relevance all the way from the 1940s to present-day 2020. If only someone had helped her, had taken the time to give her the help she needed, and to not treat a human life as a thing to be laughed at, as a thing to be gaslit or second-guessed, or as a form of entertainment... The Torment of Henrietta is a real eye-opener, and back then, I'd imagine quite a risqué topic to address. So this episode is quite unique in that way. Now, as per usual, the episode is entirely remastered for your lovely ears, and I hope you thoroughly enjoyed this thought-provoking old-time ready episode. So turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's get ready for something special like you.
1: This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Highland with another true story of crime. Listen. You have just been within the earshot of a drowning. Not such a drowning as will cause shouts of alarm throughout the world, nor even a headline. Just ears <throat> Quiet Remorse. <clears throat> Where the lady who is weeping just drowned her doll, and a part of her life, and a part of her reason. She'll go on from here to people. She'll go on from here to kill by poison. So tonight, my report to you on the torment of Henrietta Robinson, and why she killed. Crime Classics, a new series of true crime stories from the records and newspapers of every land. From every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Hyland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Once again, Mr. Thomas Hyland. The year is 1845 in the city of Troy, New York. It was summer, and the Trojans were all excited about the town's 56th anniversary and showing it. Each weekend, the banks of the Hudson were strewn anew with burned-out fireworks and chicken bones, and the broken crockery mixed well with empty clamshells. The scene we're interested in took place on a Sunday in summer twilight and has to do with a boy and a girl. They found an idyllic spot, as young lovers will do. Which consisted of this. A grove of white birch and sumac. And a pond. A clear and shallow pond of still water and sandy bottom. And a soft, warm breeze. Young lover? Just sit as you are, Henrietta. Young lover? Like this? Oh, happy time, gentle time.
2: So I can remember how beautiful you are.
3: To you, Joseph, I'd lower my eyes, but that I wish to look at you constantly. Henrietta? Yes. The doll. Here. You may hold her. You may go to Joseph Cecily. Take her. She likes you. No. No? Listen, dear. What?
2: Why do you bring her always with us? Why do you pretend she's a person?
3: Well, she is. Aren't you, Cecily? She is.
2: My sister threw away her dolls at 15, and you're 17. And because one day I hope...
3: What? This world we're in. The quietness of it. Trees and the sky. How very blue it is. And look there at the wildflowers. The hummingbirds. And you. And you, dear Joseph. May I kiss you? Oh, please don't. (laughs) There I protest Now kiss me Oh, wait What are you doing? Cecily's watching I'll turn her face to (laughs) Bob Stop it (coughs)
4: Henrietta
3: You're making fun, stop it
4: All right I'll show you My dear,
3: what?
2: Show you Henrietta, put down that stone Henrietta
3: No one will ever know Place we're in, this time, and how we love each other. Ask me again, Joseph. About what? Not to go back home to Quebec. To write my parents that I've found my true love. And you want to marry me and keep me here. I do. You were going to kiss me. Please kiss me. Cecily didn't watch.
1: All of us have our darknesses and silent screamings, but most of us don't throw stones at people. Henrietta Robinson did, and she treated her doll like it was a person. But, outside of that, Henrietta was quite a successful girl of 17. Her small, quick angers were rare intervals between serenities and sweetnesses. She was beautiful and fairly formed, and possessed of a background of elegance and wealth. Her parents in Quebec had realized a considerable fortune from a fox trap, much used in the Hudson's Bay Area. When Henrietta's mother received a letter from Troy, New York, which stated that her daughter was deeply in love, she summoned her husband immediately from his fox traps and held family council. A result of which, Henrietta was summoned home from her school in the United States. And as soon as she entered the house, a scene was made.
4: I will not have it. I will not have it. Imagine.
3: But I love him truly. I forbid it.
4: You hear me? I forbid it.
3: How could you? Joseph is handsome and he's gentle. A
4: farmer's son, no better.
3: Oh, I'm so ashamed. I'm not. I want him for my very own. <laughs> What joy to hold him. And when he kissed me, heaven was closed. And he will be mine forever and ever. No matter how hard you hit that table, Father. Oh, girl,
4: listen to me. You will not marry a farmer boy. You will not ever see him again, nor think of him. And as for marriage, you will marry whom I say. And his name is George Lotius. And his name is George Lotius. And he is a gentleman and a horseman and a soldier. And has wealth and castles in England. He has seen a portrait of you and loves you madly. What what are you doing, Henrietta? And he... John, look at her. Henrietta. Henrietta, what's wrong with you? Stop Stop carving up my table with my letter. Open up. Child. Henrietta. Henrietta.
1: a fine Regency table, her father's favorite for pounding. But, nevertheless, she did meet George Locious. And, surprisingly enough, they got along well together. <laughs> Can
2: you imagine Lady Melville dropping her fan at such a moment? <laughs> and later... Take a card, dear Henrietta. This one? Any one at all.
3: You take one, definitely. Here, I'll help you. You... I mean, your
2: doll took the three of spades.
3: Oh, (laughs) that's very close.
1: He wasn't very successful with card tricks, but he was an expert horseman, a daredevil of the high jumps.
3: Oh, it's exciting watching you, George. Isn't it, Cecily? Give
2: us your hand go? Oh, hold like... tight. Oh, you got
1: it. Take the square. And one night, in the place young people always seem to find, beneath a maple tree whose leaves shone silver under the first autumn moon
2: believe Cecily likes me, Henrietta.
3: Oh, she does. And you? Cecily wouldn't like you unless I did.
2: Henrietta, I've loved you since the moment I saw your portrait. What are you doing?
3: You'll want to kiss me, won't you? I'm turning Cecily's head away. Oh. Now you may kiss
2: Dear Henrietta.
3: Daddy wants me to marry you. Will you? And Mother wants me to marry you. Will you? Well? Let's marry him, Cecily.
2: Henrietta, dear. Cecil. Henrietta. Where are you hiding, Henrietta? One doesn't hide on one's wedding night, Henrietta. Where are you? Why are you teasing the stallion? What's, What's happened? Come, I'll take you back to the house.
3: No. You're
2: my wife. You'll do as I say. No. Why?
1: Beginning of October, when they set off for George's home in Europe, they booked passage on a steamer out of New York. And to get there, they stopped overnight at Troy.
3: I must do some last-minute shopping, George.
1: But why are you taking Cecily?
3: Cecily always liked Troy.
1: And the two of them, Henrietta and her doll Cecily, instead of shopping, went down to a place which consisted of this. A grove of white birch and sumac. Almost leafless now, and the pond of water growing cold. A place dying the season's death, but remembered for the time when young lovers sat in summer. And one was called Henrietta, and the other...
3: Joseph. Joseph. Gone are you, Joseph? Where are you? Are you dead? Are you dead, Joseph? And cold. Go to him, Cecily, and warm him.
2: She just drowned
1: her doll, and a part of her life, and a part of her reason, and grew closer to violence. Closer. The year was eighteen hundred forty nine, the time when everyone was heading toward California. And Mr. Sutter's farm. But Henrietta and husband George Locious set sail for England. It was a leisurely and serene trip under sail, marred only by one occasion. One of the voyagers on the last night out claimed that Henrietta tried to push him into the sea. The statement, however, was met with disbelief since there had been a gay party aboard and everyone had dressed like pirates and there was much mock villainy and talk of walking the gangplank. In England, George Locious brought his wife to his estate... a few miles north of London. Here they lived the life of English aristocracy... riding to hounds, puttering among the primroses... and having two children. It was the good life in a drafty mansion. There was, however, a servant problem. It seems that every upstairs maid got the feeling somehow... that Henrietta was trying to throw her off one parapet or another. Each, in her turn... The maid would complain to Squire Locious, who uh, would do this. <laughs>
2: That's the way George's And he would do this. Here's the week's wages, and I'll write you a letter of reference. And please pack your bag from me. But on about the sixth, upstairs maid, this happened. And I'll write you a letter of reference, and please pack your bag. No. Wait here a moment. Come in, Henrietta.
3: Just a minute. now you may come in.
2: I want to talk to you, Henrietta.
3: Do you like this gown, George? It came from Paris this morning.
2: I never like you in black. You know that. Why are you always wearing black these days uh, and and why why, why? Why have you taken to wearing that heavy black veil when you go about? You know oh. No, I don't.
3: Of course you do. To confuse them. Oh, now, Henrietta. Is that what you wanted to talk with me about, George?
2: Esther said you tried to push her off the east parapet. Oh? She said she was shaking the mop and you came up behind her and pushed her.
3: Wouldn't you? What are you talking about? She's one of the people, George. Oh, now, for heaven's sake, what are you... Oh, it's entirely a matter of self-preservation. She was put here to get rid of me.
2: Esther, to get rid of you?
3: One of the people. Come to the window with me, George. See there? What? Oh, don't pretend.
2: What am I supposed to see?
3: It's useless to talk with you. But what am I supposed to see? Simply what's there out in the garden. The faces. Oh, for
2: heaven's sake.
3: And something else I'll show you, too. This
2: a pistol? Really, now? When did you buy a pistol?
3: If they should try to come close to me... Henrietta! In the name of...
1: Whether or not she was aiming at George, we cannot know. And we do know she didn't hit him. We do know that when she deserted him and their two children and returned to this country, he made no effort to bring her back. Nor did he ever have any trouble keeping an upstairs maid. Of the further history of George, we know nothing definite. We can assume he brought up his children to be every inch as good an Englishman as he, and as good horsemen, and probably much better at card tricks, and undoubtedly more finicky about wives. Henrietta went directly to Troy, New York. And of her stay here, I'd like to quote a bit from a newspaper of the day. Henrietta Robinson, as so she called herself, was found wandering through the city clothed in night apparel. She drank and raved over her broken hopes. She was found groping in the dark through the halls of public buildings, inquiring for the police office. And demanding of authority assistance to protect her against imagined persecutions. She wandered about the city armed with her revolver and presented it on several occasions at the breast of anyone who had the curiosity to observe her movements. So we have come to the point in the history of Henrietta when she had become a very real menace. But no one did anything about it. They let her roam and wander and grope and present her revolver, and one day she was no longer young and one dusk in the springtime she wandered down to a certain pond which was surrounded by birch and sumac. And there was a youth
4: there. Hello.
3: Good evening.
4: Isn't this a lovely place?
3: Yes. Yes, it is.
4: I stumbled upon it. Is
3: your name Joseph? Why, no. Sit with
4: me. I'd like to. Do you, uh... Uh, Come here often?
3: Whenever I can. Why? To sit here. To look into the pond. Why? I try to remember why. I always try to remember. There's something... I don't know. I was waiting for someone. A girl?
4: Yes, but she's very late. I suppose she'll not come. I'd best be going.
3: Oh, wait. Wait. Sit here with me for a while. Talk to me. Talk to you? Is your name, Joseph? I have to go. If you leave me again, I'll kill you. What? I would. But that's a real gun. I would. I have no money. I don't understand. Please. Please, I was only waiting for... Where did you go when you went from me long ago? Don't be frightened of me. See, I- I'll put away this ugly thing, this pistol. No, don't be frightened. You will always go away. And there's always the sound of you going away. Then why do I come here? To this pond? And remember? Remember what? Remember what? Dum dum dum, oh. <laughs> and that's all you get. Buy me a drink. Buy me a drink. Kitty, you've had enough. I know, but you're a friend of mine, and you're also the barmaid here. And you have no money. No, Kitty. And no drink. Lend me two dollars. I don't have it. Then I'll lend you some. Hundred. You ought to go home. Oh, please, Kitty. A drink. Kitty.
4: Hey, Henrietta.
3: I was asking Kitty to buy me a drink. Tell her how good my credit is, Mr. Lanagan. Ah,
4: you ought to go home.
3: Your barmaid thinks my credit's no good. Tell her how good it is. Here
4: in my place, you got no credit.
3: Dance with me, Mr. Lanigan. Ah, oh. <laughs> oh, come on, come on. Dance with oh, me.
4: Oh, get away from me. Ah, oh,
3: you won't. That fellow there just came in, Will. <laughs> Young man.
2: <laughs> oh, now, <it's> sister.
3: <laughs> Young man, will you dance with me? And having danced with me, will you buy me a drink?
2: <laughs> <laughs> danced what?
3: Dum, 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 dum. That. (laughs) Well? Well?
2: Well, sure, that's what it is. Oh.
3: Dum, 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 Oh. Oh, There, young man. Did you enjoy your dance? (laughs) Then buy me a drink.
2: Uh, What's your pleasure?
3: Oh, a Kitty. Gin! <laughs> oh. Gin's my pleasure. Well, drink away. <laughs> oh. Young man. Yeah. Another For
2: sure. Hey hey, Lannigan, where are you going with that gin bottle? She can't have no more.
3: Young man, tell him.
2: Um. Lanagan Saloon, sister. He says what goes.
3: I danced with
2: you. You got your gin. Get out of here, Henrietta.
3: What a way to talk! Come I take her home, Mister Lanigan. Uh,
4: just get her out of here. Come
3: on, Henrietta. Uh, Don't touch me. Don't touch
4: me. <laughs> I told you to get out of here. Now I want you out of here. Out, out, let go Stop it!
1: still could have stopped her. Someone who could see the stricken face, hear the mumblings and realize that such a woman, one who brandished a gun every place she went, one who lived in a world of tortured fancies and set the cry for someone named Joseph tumbling down alleys and dark streets, and always there was the gun. Someone still could have stopped her, but no one did. She was the whole night away from murder. No one stopped her. Perhaps it was because she was a familiar sight in Troy by this time. Perhaps it was because the Trojans hadn't run out of their jokes about her. Perhaps it was because of the way she finally killed. She pawned her gun for $3. Then she went to a druggist. She bought $2 worth of arsenic. In the early afternoon, she was as sober as she had been for a year. She went back to Lannigan Saloon, arsenic hidden but waving her last dollar bill.
3: Good afternoon, Kitty. Here, take this money. Oh, you don't owe us anything? She owes us anything, Mr. Lanigan. (laughs)
4: Well, if she does, we'll forget it.
3: That's kind.
4: Ah. Yeah. Mind if I tell you something, Henrietta? Yes. When you're like this, when you're sober, you're almost what I'd call pretty.
3: Now, don't you start that like the rest. Why, I was only trying... Now, don't you start that. That's all. Oh, he didn't mean anything. He was telling the truth. I bet you were a real beauty when you were my age. Henrietta. Yes? Someone
4: once told me you were married to an English baron or something.
3: I think so. I think I was. I think I had... I said, sure, comb. i comb your hair if you want. If the both of you will join me in coffee
4: first. I'll get some from the earth.
3: No, let me. I love to serve.
4: I'd consider it a pleasure.
3: I I would, too. Just uh, turn that brass
4: spigot on the earth. Did you hear me? I said... I
3: was just getting the cups ready. Do you wish them sweetened? Uh, No. Uh, Nor I... Uh, Yours, Kitty. And Mr. Lanarkin.
2: Thank you.
3: Where's yours? I'll get it. Now, we can all sit and chat. Is this that new brand coffee, Mr. Lanarkin?
4: No. It just tastes funny, doesn't it?
3: I remember now. What? About England. There was a huge mansion... And I was lady over all of it. Would you like to hear about it? Oh, oh yes. Drink your coffee and I'll tell you. <coughs> it was a very large house, I think. And it sat upon a gentle hill. Strange
4: and... taste. What did you say? Oh, nothing. I I'm sorry I interrupted. The... Go on.
3: And it was drafty. But there were great roaring fires. And sometimes in the great hall.
1: Kitty, the barmaid. That night, Mr. Lanigan, the next morning. Henrietta was tried and found guilty of murder and sentenced to hang. There were murmurings, however, and talk of insanity. And one bright young lawyer made a plea based on the responsibility of society toward a tormented woman. On the basis of this plea, Henrietta was not hanged. They put her in prison where she sat for the rest of her life behind bars and a black veil. And this is the story of the world and Henrietta Robinson. Henrietta Robinson, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, And the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. In tonight's story, Sammy Hill was heard as Henrietta. Featured in the cast were Betty Harford, Joseph Kern, Sam Edwards, Lamont Johnson, Paula Winslow, and Ben Wright.
2: Bob Lamont speaking.
1: This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
0: Sad and unfortunate. Totally preventable. The Torment of Henrietta is one of those tales where it screamed its message from the mountaintops, and rightfully so. The people Henrietta killed in her twisted way, while sober, were completely avoidable, and the fact that she was allowed to carry a pistol around whilst people knew her state of mind, well, that's a lesson with dire consequences and a time bomb. But there is a twist, folks, to this tale. I'm going to read out to you legal proceedings between the people versus Henrietta Robinson. Through my research on her story, I've been able to locate this information to share with you all for even more details surrounding this case. But you're going to notice something, that through my research and the tale we just heard, there are discrepancies between the story told and reality. Known as the Veiled Murderess, Henrietta Robinson was arrested and charged with the murder of Timothy Lanigan and Catherine Luby. She pleaded not guilty to the indictment and her counsel then informed the court that Mrs. Robinson was so deranged that she had had little opportunity to talk with her to prepare her defense. The court remanded her to prison. Mrs. Robinson would provide no information on her past, and all that was known of her life was that she had moved to Troy in 1850, relocated to Albany in 1851, and then returned to Troy to a house opposite the Lanigan's grocery store. Generally, she lived apart from society and went out on the public street only when closely veiled or darkness had fallen. Mr. and Mrs. Lanigan lived behind their store, and people congregated there to play Irish music and to dance. Mrs. Robinson attended one of these gatherings, when she got into an argument with a man and drew a pistol on him. Mr. and Mrs. Lanigan forced her to leave the premises. The following day, she went into the store and argued with Mrs. Lanigan, but then things seemed to settle down and she resumed purchasing her groceries at their store. But on May 25th, 1853, she arrived at the shop while several men were present and conducted herself with such impropriety that Mrs. Lanigan had to require her to leave the store. Mrs. Robinson complied, but returned later that day while Mr. and Mrs. Lanigan and their boarder, Miss Catherine Luby, were having their midday meal. Mrs. Robinson joined them at the table, took some food with them, and then insisted on buying beer for everyone. Just then, Mr. Lanigan had to leave the table to attend to the store, and Mrs. Lanigan went to get some glasses of beer. Mrs. Robinson then asked Mrs. Lanigan for some sugar to add to the beer, and Mrs. Lanigan left to get a saucer of sugar. When she returned, Mrs. Robinson insisted that the beer glasses were not fully filled, and as she left the room again to get more beer, she noticed that Mrs. Robinson had a small white paper in her hand. When Mrs. Lanigan returned with more beer, she saw that the sugar had been added to the glasses and the beer appeared to have a film on it. Mrs. Lanigan was then called to the store. When her husband returned to the table, Mrs. Robinson insisted that he and Mrs. Lubey drink the beer. When they had done so, she left the premises without speaking to anyone. Two hours later, Lanigan and Lubey became ill and despite the best efforts of their physicians, both died within 24 hours from arsenic poisoning. At her trial, evidence was adduced that Mrs. Robinson had purchased arsenic from a local drugstore on May 10, 1853, and the search of her home following the poisonings disclosed a quantity of arsenic hidden under a carpet. Throughout the trial, Judge Harris requested that Mrs. Robinson remove her veil, but she refused and her counsel seemed powerless to make her comply. Finally, the judge insisted that it was not acceptable that the defendant should be veiled during a capital trial, and she lifted her veil for a short time, but kept her face covered with a fan. Her counsel raised a defense of insanity, but the jury found her guilty, and the court sentenced her to death. Later, the governor commuted her sentence to life imprisonment, and she spent the remainder of her life in the New York State Hospital for the insane at Metawan, where she died on May 14th, 1905, at the age of 89. I'll include this snippet of evidence in the show notes. So here are some key differences here that the Robertson story from the old time radio show didn't seem to add up with regarding my research of the crime in particular. 1 The beverage drunk was not coffee, but instead beer. 2 There was an ongoing relationship with the two owners of the grocery store, Whilst initially in the OTR, it seemed like Robinson's adult mind in the Crime Classics version was caused by previous emotional trauma, or some kind of mental illness, for Henrietta to behave the way she did. This is not the case. She wore a veil and only travelled at night. She also had a title, the Veiled Murderess. She was sentenced to death originally, but only after the governor commuted her sentence was she able to live. So the initial insanity plea, which chronologically comes after wasn't what saved her life as the criminal classic tale would have us believe. I know it's something small, but I found it interesting that that was one of the few things that the OTR decided to change. And just from these acts alone, how Henrietta conducted herself, the motive, the intention behind what she did, I'd argue she's far from insane. Her actions were calculated, methodical, and with clear intent. She took two lives that day. And once she realized that she had poisoned them and that those two people were definitely going to die she just up and left she didn't stay to gloat or enjoy herself it was a desired action with a desired outcome mates i hope you enjoyed this bit of research the episode and it is the first time where i've been able to dig up some information on an otr to really check the facts altogether i found this really fascinating and something i'll be doing in the future where i can I want to thank those that support this show directly. First up, my legendary Ode Night Tea Titan, Maya, who brightens my day every day with such a legendary level of support. Not an episode goes by where this podcast doesn't improve or try new things that isn't a result of your support, Maya. Thank you so, so much, mate. My two White Tea Warlords, Ion Cows and Lee Bauer, thank you both For your ongoing support mates, I'm stoked to know that you both have my back and push this podcast further into producing better content. And of course, my Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marchini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, Dolphin and Cow, and Michelangelo Yacone. Thank all of you for being the rocket fuel in this podcast. If you want to be like these living legends that want to help this podcast really flex some new skills and see new content, visit my Patreon page where you can support this show directly. I don't place adverts in my podcast ever. Not directly at least. You can blame the platform you listen to for that. So every donation or support from you to me hits this podcast production line and I'm so damn grateful for that. If you think you're able to be a legend like these guys and gals and support the podcast, visit me at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt and there you'll have a range of tiers to support the show i'll be doing a revamp on what i'm providing in the near future as rewards so keep an eye out for that also thank you for even considering supporting me and for listening to this podcast have a wonderful day all night and this wednesday is going to be something special just like you as always folks till next we meet